Welcome to the Bloom Podcast, talking about the different ways people get through tough times. He's Steve, a clinical hypnotherapist. And she's Susie, parent and cake baker, currently going through treatment for breast cancer. Today, we're going to talk about conflicts when you're not getting on with people, what kind of behaviours we see in ourselves and others. And I'm going to introduce Jackie, who will talk about some great tips for managing that stuff. Hey, Steve, you know we said we'd talk about conflict in interpersonal conflict Mm. workplaces families friends that stuff i read dear prudence which is the the agony the agony aunt for slate online magazine so let me read you this question that someone's written in okay this is a she says she's a a single mom she's living with her her two college kids so adult kids and their significant others so four young adults I've been working from home by day and cooking and cleaning by night so the kids can focus on their studies. While they at first offered to help around the house, I encouraged them to enjoy this rare time in their lives to just focus on themselves and not worry about anything else. As Mother's Day approached, I told the kids to not worry about, don't worry about going out, don't get me anything. So they didn't, not even a card. I don't need anything, but I've always given my parents and grandparents at least cards with loving messages. Um, when Mother's Day arrived in our home, they acted as if they had completely forgotten. After getting one hug, I was immediately asked to cook breakfast. I did. Yeah. <laughs> After I cleaned up the kitchen. Oh, no, 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 that's it. Sorry. <laughs> I've taken as much of that. Oh. Oh. She does say, well, I realise I created this situation myself. Oh, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. Oh, heart goes out to her, actually. It does, and bless her. Well, what what does what does Prudence have to say? By the way, what does what's the sage advice? Prudence is much more patient and thoughtful than I would be in this situation. She says, "I think there's room for change and growth here. There's a conversation to be had." with the four of them, two conversations, one about housework and helping out and one about Mother's Day and birthdays and and how to make that meaningful. There's room to state your needs and ask for reasonable things. No, I'm not not seeing that. I don't know. I, I don't know what advice would be better, but that does not sound to me very likely to be productive. You know that there's apparently a Chinese, whether it's a real Chinese saying, I don't know, but there is said to be that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. I suppose the implication being that the second best time is now. And clearly that mother planted a tree 20 years ago and the roots have taken, what, what is it that roots take? Root, I suppose. <laughs> the roots have taken root. And it's going to be very difficult to turn. Stop, stop. You think these there's four young people, you think none of them are ever going to do the vacuuming for her, for them in their house that they're all living in? We talked about your dog before, Winston, and training a puppy is hard enough. You've got to be consistent and you've got to keep doing it. And at the time that you feel least like getting up and doing that thing that, you know, that leads to the repetition is when you need to do it most. And there's, there's that saying about you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, yes, you can teach an old dog new tricks. But the reason why it's a saying is because it's so much harder. And if, if you know, I'm sure those four young people, are, you know, they're perfectly fine, delightful, thoughtful, generous, but they would have offered repeatedly, been been refused and, and thanked for the offer but refused. Maybe not even thanked for the offer. Maybe 
mum thought that this was, you know, that, that she was doing the right thing and she's now trained them. She's trained them to to expect that it, they must have convinced themselves that she that they're doing the right thing by letting her because she obviously gets so much enjoyment out of it, I think. Something weird like that. I, Don't you I'm think? Not sure. Well, I'm not sure I agree, but I'm trying to figure out if that's because I can't bear the idea that she's going to spend the next 20 years slaving away doing the dishes for these um, young ingrates or if actually a conversation would a conversation and underlining what she needs would would get them there. I think as well, though, you've made me think this is why, you know, sometimes you see people behave quite differently in different situations and children are probably the the great example of that. They, And then the parent says, what? They never do that for me. Yeah, so there is something, there's something there about getting what you asked for explicitly in her case, but but implicitly for many other people. And I suppose in training, training the people around you. They won't change by themselves. So, yes, I suppose, yeah, prudence is right in that sense. It's got to start with with her. And I guess her asking prudence for advice is a sign that she realises that um, that she she wants and needs, needs the situation to change. It's not just parents who train children, right? This is people train each other every day in what they expect and what what, what kind of behaviour they expect. Not not what they want necessarily, but what they expect. I think I think it's it's a little bit more than that. It's because you may not realise that, you know, in her case, she's ended up with unintended consequences. She was still hoping to be spoilt on Mother's Day. So it wasn't as if that was what she was she was wanting or expecting. But it was an it almost seems like an inevitable result. If that's what you do, then that's what you'll get. And you can unwind it now, I suppose, and see how it might have gone differently. But what it what it reminded me of was, I, I think we might have talked about this before, but this kind of culture that we have now where people are um, feel that they have a right not to be offended. Uh, and you don't. You don't have a right not to be offended because you can't control what people around you are going to say. They're going to say that stuff. And in a lot of cases, they won't care whether you feel offended or not. So if you if you ha- feel that you have a right to go around cocooned from, you know, triggers, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And the alternative to that is taking responsibility and recognizing that if you are being offended, then, um, you know, I mean, obviously some things are, are, are outside the bounds of decent and appropriate behavior but in a lot of cases if someone happens to talk about you know an unpleasant subject that somebody has died or somebody's been hurt or something has happened if we have to censor our own language so much that we can't talk about those things in case someone may be offended then very soon we won't have anything left to talk about at all you're making me think of uh, someone being wrong on the internet and we all have to tell them so. <laughs> what? With someone's, what? <laughs> someone was wrong on the internet now. They were last night. <laughs> Why was I not in? Oh, no. <laughs> go on, go on. Well, it's just that, that thing that we've all suddenly become keyboard warriors, haven't we? Um, somebody's, somebody says something. Have you, you've, you've gone down the, the rabbit hole of, reading the comments on Facebook and getting into an argument. Have you gotten into an argument with complete strangers who you, you've you never met them? It doesn't matter what they think because they're going to keep thinking that anyway. And there you are, late at night, banging away on the keyboard. 
So what are we talking about? I suppose we're talking about uh, it's not just uh, cases. I mean, the, the reason you brought that up, I guess, and it was a really good extreme example. Most cases are not quite so clear cut about that. And it's a bit harder to see where things have gone off the off the rails. Most conflict situations have much more ambiguity in them, don't they? Where it's a, a work situation or, your, or, or at home or with friends or I, I get a lot of uh, messages about my friends' kids' teachers. <laughs> I must be that. Uh, uh, my kids are at the right age that this isn't working at school and why are they doing that and how dare they and all this sort of thing. Those sort of day-to-day conflicts, I guess, that people can't, you, you know, we can't let wash off us. We, we, we need to engage and get involved in it and try and change the outcome by texting our friends. Yeah, Vent, venting perhaps. But I, actually, I think teachers, that's a really good example because there's um, there's a lot of history there. You know, that it's kind of the perfect storm. We were, once a, we were once a school kid and new teachers, so we've got certain history of relationships with teachers. It involves our kids and we know them. We feel better than anybody else does, even though, as you were saying before, it's it's interesting how your kids can surprise you when somebody else talks about them and you go, I, I didn't know they were like that at all. I, they've never been like that with me. So the teacher is seeing your child in a different context. And after all, she's got an awful lot on her plate, an awful lot of kids, and she's trying to do as much as she can with very limited resources. You know, to, to us, our child is very, very special and therefore needs an awful lot of particular attention that the teacher may just not be able to offer. And it's very high stakes because it's because it's mm. our child, yeah. And it doesn't have the hierarchy. I mean, work. Co- one of the, the things about workplace conflicts is there's a really clear hierarchy of where people sit. You get in conflict with your boss, that's much more miserable because you can't actually just tell them what you think because they're your boss. Mm. Actually, what this is reminding me of is the transactional analysis, I think, is it? Eric Byrne from all that long time ago. And he talks about the fact that we've each got different roles within us, parent, adult, child. You don't have to have been a a, a literal parent to have that nurturing part of you that looks after someone who needs your help, you know, an old lady who's spilled her shopping or something. And the child part of us can come out when when we're ill and we just want chicken soup and hugs and Netflix. And he points out that just as we have those parts within us, so does everyone else. And if your boss kind of inevitably triggers in the role of the parent, then that can trigger the child in us and we can start to behave in a childish way, resentfully or sullenly or pass ag or whatever it might be. Even though we know that this is really not going to be the best way to respond to what a boss is telling us. And, and transactional analysis talks about understanding that that's the case and just reminding us that we do have the option to go to the adult, that you can be reasonable and assertive without being aggressive and um, find you know, a, a other ways of, of stepping down the conflict and, and not um, resorting to the inner child. Mm, this is the, um, the I'm okay, you're okay stuff, isn't it? Mm. 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 Thomas Harris, is it? Very hard to do, though. You or, know, you're, or did he write Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he wrote both. <laughs> Change of genre. <laughs> um, but it's very, it's very hard. To... Was his book, I'm, I'm Okay, You're Very Much Not Okay. I'm Hannibal Lecter <laughs> and I'm Okay, You're Not. 
it's it's very hard to do though when I think uh, surely everybody in the world's been in that situation where a parent says something and then instantly you're a you're a five year old again. Um, for better or worse, one of the yeah. one of the things I realised when I was, as you know, I just finished chemotherapy, and when I was having a particularly not pleasant day, I found myself wishing for my father, who's been dead for oh. just on ten years and wasn't particularly helpful at that time anyway. I mean, he was never the most; uh, he wouldn't have been the one to bring me the chicken soup anyway. Um, so it must have been I was just wishing for someone to take it away, and he was. Um, maybe I, I wanted it to go away and I knew it wouldn't work and that's that that's how I came up with my mm. dead and not particularly useful father. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it, how it it's at moments I guess, you know, when, when there is when there is conflict and emotions are heightened and we're we're not thinking quite so clearly and we might say things that, that are you know that we that aren't really very well thought through that it's that's when those kind of archetypes occur to us and we start um we start reverting to, to sort of very basic ideas of authority and and all of that um, which probably makes things you know can rapidly escalate things and make them much worse i want to bring in a friend of mine jackie who's a bit of an expert on this conflict management and mediation and dispute resolution Jackie, thanks for coming. Thank you, Susanna and Steve. You're welcome. Very happy to be here. Tell us a bit about yourself. I'm somebody who came to this a bit later in life. When I say a bit later, I've been doing it now for 15 years, so it's been quite a while. But I actually started my career in policy and research, and then I realised that I wasn't that cut out for drafting and looking at computer screens all day, not communicating with people. Because it took me a long time to realise that probably what I'm best at, or probably getting along with people. You've got a master's in dispute resolution. You've worked in different industries. You worked for a while for an ombudsman's office. You're with local council now. What are the what are the disputes like there? Is it all what are people? Is it all rubbish bins and fences? How do you do that? It it sounds terrible. Look, it's not for everybody and. People, every single day of my life, people say to me, I don't know how you do the job you do. And I think it's a combination of my interest, wanting to help people, and probably my actual personality. My personality. I am by by nature a very patient person, and I also am, am by nature a very social person. I genuinely like people, and I genuinely believe that most people have got – most people don't complain because they're bored. In my thousands of complaints I've dealt with, I could probably count on one hand the amount of complaints where there wasn't some amount of validity in what they were complaining about. People feel genuinely aggrieved. They don't go to the effort of complaining unless they feel genuinely aggrieved by something. You may not agree with it, you may not understand it, but you have to respect it. The thing about council is, A, it's incredibly broad. So yes, it is fences and rubbish bins, but the the hardest disputes in council are neighbour disputes. They are the disputes with your next door neighbour, and I've had, I've had a really protracted one about rubbish bins, about the placement of rubbish bins. I've had really protracted ones about fences, about boundaries. There's one I'm currently dealing with where they have been in court for years and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. When it becomes about neighbours, it becomes really, really personal. And 
you know, I hear about people who move houses because it becomes so protracted because you have to live with these people. So, yeah, but it is. It's incredibly broad. It's one thing I love about council is we we do 150 different services and I just get the most random and interesting cases come across my desk all the time. I fundamentally believe the reason people have conflict is people do not understand that other people see the world from a different perspective, have different values, have different goals. And I mean, I experience this every day in my life. I mean, I, I still learn every single day. But you make assumptions about people. You assume that something you find easy, they'll find easy. Something you value, they'll value. And it is fundamentally wrong. It, which bit is fundamentally wrong? The fact that people are driven by the same things and people see the world in the same way. I mean, I deal with this every day, both professionally, both in dealing with customers, professionally as somebody who works with people and obviously personally. And what is, for somebody, is bleedingly obvious is completely, the other person is completely oblivious to it. Have you an example of that, Jackie? Sure, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of what I've been currently dealing with in my own work situation. I have just, I have a new staff member. And although we both want the same end goal, which is to help the customer, however way you get there, we have very, very different approaches in, in achieving that. So I'm somebody, I mean, I guess because of my training and my background, I'm somebody who looks at, tries to look at everything on a case-by-case basis, not make basic assumptions, things like that. But one of the downsides of, of taking that approach is it means that at times I'm not always consistent. I won't always come to the same conclusion. I'm somebody who I'm probably more concerned about explaining why you got there than the journey itself, if that makes sense. So as long as I can understand someone reasoning about why they've made a decision, I'm usually pretty supportive of it. But she is much more kind of there are process, you know, process to follow. We did it this way last week. Why are we doing it this way this week? And I'm much more about kind of nuances and details and say, you know, you think that they might look the same, but they're not 100% the same. So it, it really made me realise that I am not a very good systems and process person in terms of development. And she's not very good at seeing things on a case-by-case basis, although we both want the same outcome. Jackie, that seems pretty simple. If people have conflict because they're they're coming from different positions, they're seeing the world differently, and so they're responding to that. So so why is it so hard? (laughs) It's so hard because people fundamentally believe they're right. It's very, very hard for people to take a step back and see things from a different perspective because for whatever reason, our upbringing, our education, our values, whatever, people think they're right. And it's very hard for people to accept that, to to say sorry. It's very hard for people to take a step back and say, actually, I could have done that differently. People see that as being vulnerable and weak when it's, to me, it's the complete opposite. It's actually a show of strength and a show of growth. People don't like to think they're wrong. And also, people are also very personally invested. I mean, I, I what I do, I, I work for local council. Um, people, people take things very, very personally. People get very kind of passionate and caught up. And often there are obviously other underlying issues going on that we are not aware of. So, you know, what people bring to a table, e.g. two neighbours having a fight, there's often a lot of history, a lot of baggage, a lot of other issues that we may not be aware of, whether it's their family, their work, um, previous experiences. People have this habit of saying, well, this happened to me 
last time is the same thing's going to happen to me again. So people get quite kind of quite fatalistic in how they approach stuff. You know, it didn't work last time. We've, we've already had this fight. What? Why should I even bother? What can I do, Jackie, to play my part in in rectifying that and in, in to get a better outcome when we get disagreements? There are a couple of key things. One of them is you may not agree with somebody, but you have to respect their opinion and you have to let them be heard, acknowledge their pain, their issues and whatever else. People are really, really bad at doing People are just seeing their own world, their own worldview, their own problems, they're taking a step back. For example, if I'm going to have a difficult conversation with somebody, I really like to set ground rules first and say it's really important that we both hear each other, we both acknowledge each other, we both talk without being interrupted and we both ask questions at the end. These are really, really key things to do to try and get ahead. And I think the other, one of the other really, really key things to do is accept the fact that you may not get your way. But you have to come up with some kind of compromise that you can both live with. You both may not love it. It may not be your first choice. But as long as you can both accept it, that's okay. And that's, you know, that, that's often the best you can hope for. That sounds really good, valuable advice, particularly in a, in a work environment, in a professional environment. Would it feel a bit stilted to try and introduce that into the, into the household when you get home from work and it's, you know, a bit of a row about who's going to cook dinner or who didn't do the dishwasher? Or... I'm much better doing it in the work than at home, to be perfectly honest. But there are times I do do it at home. There are times I say, look, you know, we, we need to talk about this. You, you say you're particularly for big issues, probably less about the dishwasher and more about, for example, how we're going to renovate our house. So, you know, I say, look, I really need, you need to hear me out. I need to hear you out. We need to talk uninterrupted. And then we, we can hopefully try and, you know, have, have some common goals and some common agreements. But yeah, for things like unloading the dishwasher, it's probably less relevant. It's really for those really difficult, protracted conversations that you need to have. So, you know, think about a dishwasher is, unless hey, there's a really, really big history of, one person not un- always unloading the dishwasher, them getting really jack of it and feeling like it's always them who's doing it and feeling really upset about it, the likelihood is it probably won't be such a big conversation. Yeah, so Jackie, Steve and I were just talking about an example from Slate's Dear Prudence, a mother who was sheltering with young, living with young, four young adults, her kids and their partners, and told them, let me look after you, I'm, you're studying, that's, that's a great time in your life, to not have household tasks, so she's doing all the cooking and all the cleaning, told them, didn't want cards for Mother's Day, don't worry about it, and then was, was really sad when they didn't give her cards for Mother's Day. <laughs> and they, they asked her to, to make breakfast and then she, she made them breakfast and then she cleaned up for them and that was her Mother's Day. So what, what would you say to her? I mean, there are two things. She obviously set the agenda from day one, so she really needs to communicate this to to everything, what exactly she means by that. And as I said, consi- you know, you're not always consistent. So and so she, she really needs to say, although I've, I've agreed to do this at the other, put yourselves in my shoes, you know, think about what I'm doing for you. Think about, you know, the effort, the work I'm doing for you and don't take me for granted. And, you know, and acknowledge the effort I'm putting in. I, I understand you're doing a lot of work, but, but you know, but so am I. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a lot of work and responsibility to, to look after all you kids. I really understand, you know, I, we, we, I, I know I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I want you to focus on your study, your work, whatever. But I also want you to acknowledge my position too. And so much about conflict is acknowledging the other person. The other big thing is managing expectations. She she did set out these expectations from, from the beginning, but she also may have to relook at them. 
And they also, the other people, the other party also need to look at what their expectations are too of, of what this, you know, what this means. They need to show some appreciation, some thanks. It's not much of it's just about empathy. Empathy. Yep. And expressing what you want, reminding people that they need to have empathy for you. If, if I had to, I had to drill it down to one sentence, put yourself in someone else's shoes. That would be the one sentence I would drill it down to. But, you know, all the theory, everything else, that is your, you know, that, that is your key, key. What about situations where there is no compromise? I mean, because we can each, I can empty half the dishwasher, you empty half the dishwasher, that's easy. But big things like, should we have another baby? Um, or much more relevant to me, is it a good idea to keep a third TV that no one actually needs in your spare room? <laughs> a very large third TV. So these are these are things that are not, there's there's no compromise, right? You can't have half a TV or, or half a baby. Um, so what do we do about that? I mean, what you have to do then is sit down and unpack it. So, you know, if, if you're going to have this, as you said, I think the baby one is what probably the, the perfect example. You can't have half a baby. You're either in or you're out. You need to sit down and really unpack and both sides need to talk about what their feelings are, why they feel of it, you know. And you know what? There are some times where you just can't. Sometimes where that, that could be enough to break up a relationship. That might be the, the only outcome that's possible in such a black and white situation. Either somebody has to compromise or else you just simply can't do it. But you know what? They're, they're probably few and far between. There probably aren't that many things that are quite as black and white as that. Well, you say that, but it's a really large TV. <laughs> <laughs> Sigmund Freud famously said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. But a television is never just a television, is it? It, 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 it it's representative of a different view of what, what a house, what a home should be like, what how we should live. That's right. It's representative of how you want to spend your leisure time, how you relax, what you value. That That's exactly right. And for someone like Suze, who probably isn't as into TV as many other people I know, for you, you could just see that as a big, big 60-inch light on your wall. Whilst for <laughs> Max, I suspect that, like, you know, his livelihood and his, and, and his, his, his support to him is, you know, breathing and, 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 and eating. It's his reason for being. I think if if I put myself in the other person's shoes, it's a great, as you said, it's a great reminder that um, sometimes a TV, Steve, is not just a TV. It's uh, it's an expression of of security. Jackie, just to just to wrap up, would that be your single biggest point, as you said before, to to put yourself in someone else's shoes? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, take a step back. You know that whole look at it from the balcony, not from the dance floor? Absolutely. Take a step back and look at it from a different perspective. And that is the absolute key. Jackie, that's been awesome. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Bloom Podcast. Next week, we're talking about the support we want when times are tough. And what about when you're on the other side, how you give good support? And we're talking about the self-identity episode and the discussions of race and some responses we got from you, our listeners. And if you enjoy listening to the Bloom Podcast, then write us a review and tell your friends. And if you don't enjoy it, go take a walk, smell some flowers. (laughs) 